This podcast is part of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. To learn more, visit listenfrederick.com. Yeah. Well, if they, uh, yeah, the 12 year old is very responsive. Yeah. He, he knows what to do, but if uh, he knows he can come in here and get me, if like, you know, if the four year old really is going to melt down, you guys will hear it. I'll mute and disappear for a minute. You guys keep talking. I, I have got two cats who are not too happy with the lovely sardine mackerel pate I just served them. Oh. So it's entirely nice. possible they will be making visit as well. Okay. All right. Depending upon the depth of their unhappiness, I might have to absent myself. Welcome back to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. This is Adina Mignona, one of your friendly co-hosts, and I'm going to breeze through mentioning my other co-hosts, Brian Donahue, Christian Fox, and Steve Merkin, because I want to get right into our conversation with our guests today. If you don't know who we are, listen to pretty much any other episode of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast and you'll be caught up. Today, we have an amazing guest, John Billingsley. For sci-fi fans, we know John best for his role as Dr. Phlox, but that's not his only science fiction role. He was in 2012. He was in an episode of Stargate and Angel. John is a character actor, and even if you don't know that you've seen him, if you have watched any popular TV show in the last couple of decades or more, Leverage, NCIS, True Blood, Scrubs, and more, you've seen him. Now, for those of us diehard Trekkies, it is a treat when we see an actor unexpectedly in some other role. My favorite example was during my American Revolution education phase, kicked off by the musical Hamilton and was like, hey, it's Dr. Phlox, when I saw John in the AMC series Turn, Washington Spies, that I watched right after I read the book. So like I said, John is pretty amazing. Now, I'd also like to use the following adjectives to describe John Billingsley. Witty, fun, entertaining, gregarious, approachable, friendly, generous, and exuberant. And, and one of the, <laughs> what, what did I forget? Profane. Profane, yes, yes, Thank yes, you, yes, John. yes. Thank you, I was gonna add that myself. Audience <laughs> be warned. Yep. Be aware. Well, and oh, one of the still- interviews I read uh, while preparing for this discussion also described you as a whirlwind tour de force. So. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, John, so much for being here. That's a lot, so that's a lot to here. live up to. Yep. Yeah. So what do, what do you think of the list of adjectives? <laughs> what do you think of my list of adjectives? They were fabulous adjectives. They were very, very flattering. I can give you 10 shitty adjectives if you want. Whoops, there's a nickel McCoy in the, in the swear jar. Oh, boy. Off to a lurching start. So I'm like, Chris, Chris, you count, and then we'll see how much, how much he's got to put in his Chevy. I'll try. No promises. <laughs> I'll try my best. Maladroit, pompous, pretentious, arrogant, annoying, <laughs> vituperative. Oh, that's a good like word. Oh, I don't even know what that you one have means. Have your thesaurus open? Or Scler- something sclerotic is a lot like vituperative. I was just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start using that like in real life. I think. Sclerotic. <laughs> so, or no? What, what did you, what did you, the other one before that? Vituper- vituperative. It. Yes, it's an impressive yes. word. That one either. <laughs> We're going to look those up and uh, have them on our podcast notes so our fans know. Fabulous. Uh, the vituperative John Billingsley. <laughs> Nobody would want to come if you called him that. Google the word, kids. Okay. <laughs> hey, every now and then, if I can jump in real quick, Adina, um, mm-hmm. we like to mention a fan that has commented or emailed us. 
And I have a good buddy named Todd Van Gorder who just commented on my Facebook page uh, that he really loves uh, you, John, and uh, he loves loved you in Out of Time with uh, Denzel Washington, which I had forgotten you were in that. I've, uh, I haven't seen that film for quite a while, but uh, he I, shout out to one of our fans, Todd Van Gorder, and he says, "Hey, I really loved him in Out of Time." So. Yeah, so I thought that movie might open a few doors for me because it was a big part and it was opposite Denzel and it was pretty well received, but they burned it off in what is movie death season, October. Oh, okay. I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. It's a long, complicated story. Mm -hmm. In any case, that was one of those movies that I thought, eh. Yeah, I I remember it getting getting, uh, kind of at reviews. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know. My wife and I watched it. We loved it. I know it's one of those movies that I think people who kind of are a little snooty about the movies and they're mm-hmm. expecting that Denzel, every movie is going to be a prestige picture. Thought, why is he doing this kind of B pulpy mm. film? But it was fun. Yeah. And you know, he's got, he's done a lot of B pulpy films. And I think this one has a spirit about it and a charm about it because of Carl Franklin, the mm-hmm. director that I think actually is really quite lovely. And some of the others that I think he's done. He's always a fabulous actor. I think to me are a little too heavy handed. This one had a lightness and a touch and a deftness and a wit about it that I quite appreciate it. Every, every podcast recording that we do some episode or TV show or movie comes up that I've not seen. I have to add it to my homework list. I have not seen that. I play a little game on pod on the podcast and sometimes a little game with my my fans on on Twitter which is uh you know find find the worst John Billingsley performance and uh, <laughs> I can give you some oh. hints yeah. as to where to look. Uh, well I, there's other performance that was bad but you were in the resident and I was angry I was like man John Billingsley is supposed to be calm and friendly but you were like mean to the, I can't I remember was, what the, I know, I know, I, I know. I, I was a mean, horrible, racist baby killer. Yeah. And then like, I was on All Rise and I was a that. mean, horrible, racist baby killer on that show too. So. Sorry, which show? All Rise, which oh, is CBS. Okay. Similarly, yes. I was a gynecologist slash baby doctor who was considerably more indifferent to a black woman giving birth than I would have mm. been to a white woman giving birth, mm. which is rooted in sadly the reality yeah. in our country. Right. Yeah. Right. Actual statistical evidence. Yeah, he did a great job. It's just like, no, that's not Doctor Flux. Well, if you actually, if you really steep yourself in my oeuvre, which I don't really, you know, think you should do, (laughs) messy. But if you were to steep yourself in my oeuvre, you would find that I actually have played more rotters than I have good guys. Right. I remember saying Uh that in the in the last show. I'm not only counting. Sorry, I'm sorry, Don. I'm not only counting swear words. I'm now counting words I've never heard one single time in my whole life. And I think we're up to at least four or five. So. Yeah. Bonnie gets, my wife gets pissed at me about this. She says, why don't you speak English? It's like, because the English language is vast and people need to extend the vocabulary. So I think it's a service to mankind. Damn it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. There's one. I was, oh, an, I was an English, I was an English major until I didn't bother to write my thesis, at which point oh, I became a yeah. drama major. So I have to, mm. you know, get something out of the, out of the, out of the deal. Well, so, so that brings up all, all the books in your background. Oh, and I've yeah. heard you, you talk about how you really don't watch a lot of TV and stuff, but you read. What True. do you read? What are all those books? Not, not every oh, one of them. Well, <laughs> I read a lot of different things. Uh, right now I'm reading All the Light You Cannot, We Cannot See, uh, Anthony Doerr's Pulitzer Prize winner from a few years back. I read a lot of literary fiction, but I leaven it with um, popular fiction too. I mean, I'm just as likely to read an Agatha Christie novel or a sci-fi mm. novel. I want I want well-crafted and well-written fiction. And then I read a lot of history. 
a lot of history, a lot of sociology, a lot of psychology, uh, you know, in the social sciences generally. Um, well, so I mentioned Washington Spies. Did you read the book before you did that role? I skimmed the book, um, but I have read a fair amount of revolutionary history. And mm -hmm. so that story was not ter terribly new to me. I mean, mm -hmm. the particulars were, but um, uh, I have certainly read you know, I mean, I'm not an historian. Well, I, don't, I preface it by saying that I ain't no expert, but I have read, you know, quite a bit in 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 a lot of different eras and epics and countries and et cetera. Yeah. So I, I grew up on Long Island. And so that's one of the things yeah. why I, I resonated with Washington spies and a lot of the Revolutionary War stuff, which yeah. growing up, this was not it really wasn't emphasized. We, we had our ass kicked in the Northeast. I mean, yeah. we won the war largely in the Southeast, mm -hmm. you know, which is, I think, it's a fascinating period. I mean, you know, we, we lost battle after battle after battle. And Washington's big achievement was running. Mm -hmm. He was an, a very adroit runner. He mm -hmm. got out of New York by the skin of his teeth, you know, sneaking down New Jersey, sneaking back up to kind of throw a couple of punches and then sneaking away again. He managed to keep the British frustrated and angry for many years by being a dodgeball artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, amazing story. It, it it really is, and I'm I'm very thankful to the musical Hamilton, which for me kicked it kicked it all off. Did you read the I, Chernow book? The, 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 I read the the, yeah. the Hamilton one, then the Washington one, yeah. then I and read the Grant, uh, the Grant one. Did you read that one? No, I did not. Not I mean, read that one. That's a great one because I think Grant okay. is a fascinating. Adding to character. my list. <laughs> I'm actually on a show right now called Manhunt, which is mm -hmm. based on a book by a guy named James Swanson about the hunt for Lincoln's assassins. Oh, interesting. John Where's that going to be available? John it's on. A, it's an Apple show, and it's being shot now. Apple! Anna. I don't have yes, it. I know. You can't subscribe to all of them. I know. It's I know. <laughs> you should be able to get like a 90-day trial from like almost anything. To, I can. have to steal it from my sister, Judy, or my yeah. daughter, okay. Steph, if I want to get Apple. I just... Yeah, I know. I'm like that with Hulu, I'm, and I've been on some Hulu shows recently. It's like, oh, no, I got to subscribe to Hulu. I, I can't watch. <laughs> Why I do you have to do I that? Just look in the mirror. You get to see each other yourself every day. You know. Yes, so exactly. That is right. Feel about it. But can't you? Can't they give you a subscription? Like you're on our show, we'll give you a mm -hmm. subscription to the service. I'm the sure service. if I had more significant roles, but I'm, you know, I'm not exactly third guy at the bar, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm you don't get any special green room treatments there, no, John, no, huh? No, 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 no. We, we old fat character guys. It's not as if you know we are number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve on the call sheet. <laughs> I think I'm number seventy-three on the call sheet. I do, but I do have it. I have a kind of interesting role, and depends upon how they play it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm in three or four episodes. I am the one who tries the other would-be assassins of Lincoln. You know, there was a, a cadre. Booth actually, of course, did the firing. Right. Right. But then there's a guy who attacked Seward. <laughs> They're the people who tried to plan the whole thing, including mm -hmm. a woman, Mary Surratt, who was the first American female hung. And it caused quite a, a, a ruckus. And I was the judge who said, hang her. So mm. I got a lot of pushback. So I don't think you're going to see that story told. But, you know, I find mm. that kind of interesting. Yeah, very much so. Wow. Okay, reason to get another another reason to get Apple TV when uh, I'm done with. 
How is it? Did that, you know, as an, as an actor, I mean, like this shift to all these different services, has that, does that affect um, your work or your promotion of your work? Well, or? the pros and cons as an actor. And, and, you know, the pro of course is, is that I think the quality of television is higher than it has ever been. You go back, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to go back in time in your little way back machine to 1973 and you look at what is on the three networks, ABC, mm-hmm. NBC, you would find that 80% of it is, is crap. Now we are buried in great stuff, great mm-hmm. material, great artists. A lot of people who used to be movie stars are now television stars. There's mm-hmm. no longer that kind of ghettoization that used to exist. Movies have suffered. That's mm-hmm. one of the dark aspects of it. Well, you yes. We have the concept of going to see a great movie or even making a great movie to be shown only in the movie theaters. That's kind of gone. Mm-hmm. And in terms of how we get paid, there may be more work on one level than ever, but, you know, the big ka-ching, if you're an actor, is to get cast in a network show that runs 22 or 26 episodes a season. If you're now doing a, a streaming show and it's only eight episodes a season mm-hmm. and they still have you on a contract that treats you as if you're a series regular and you can't consequently do something else as uh, a series no. You could, in essence, have a, a real lower ceiling in terms of the revenue mm-hmm. you make. And it, it has also dramatically changed the nature of the residual market. Most was, the actors, last, was the last the, yeah, full season, 20, no, 24, 26 episodes series, was that Enterprise or was there something... Uh, there may have been other series. We Our first two years of Enterprise, we did 26. And then mm-hmm. at Scott's request, it went down to 22. Oh, and interesting. There may have been other shows on television since then that have done 26 episodes. But I, it, it's obviously and nothing that you've been rare. involved. That that was the last one for yourself. I Yes, yeah, so I never got on another show that lasted more than 13 episodes. So oh. I that, yes. <laughs> I, the nine yanked intelligence yanked uh it, it, i was on true blood for a little while but that was a cable show they only did 10 well that if, if you don't mind john that reminds me of how we first met we first met 12 years ago yes at a little sci-fi convention that happened in universal studios okay. at i believe the embassy suite i can't remember what it was Oh, yes, I remember that. That yes, and James James Sky Conway was he the organizer? I I don't remember that. I but but yeah, you were there. Elvira was there. uh, Stan Lee was there. Jonathan Franks was there. You know, it was a good crowd. But I didn't know you were there, and so I walk into a room, and there you are. And up until then, I had been watching Twenty Four, the seventh season. Ah. And I got into that because my, my son-in-law loved 24. So I said, you know, I'm going to watch it with you. We can t-. And there you are. Boom. There's, there's John. Literally, John boom. 24. I got blown up in that <laughs> Not, you know, Well, that's the thing. You lasted you got three episodes and you got, you got killed. That frequently happens to me. And I said to you when I met you, I said, I don't get it, John. Why is it that every actor on that show who's a guest star gets killed off? except Connor when he played the security guard. And I said, was that something that Manny owed him or, or Brandon owed him because they killed him off at the end of Enterprise? 
And you said, I don't know. That seems kind of interesting. I didn't then, know. I, I didn't know Connor was on that show. I, yes, I, he, yes, he was. Clearly, on, I've repressed the memory of our conversation. I apologize. That's OK. Uh, <laughs> he was on he was on episode 15. He played Carl, the security guard. But anyway, Wait, he was only on one episode, one episode. Just well, one then why episode. would they bother to kill him off? He's only on one episode. I was on three episodes, 24. They killed off everybody. I'd rather be on three episodes and get killed off than be on one episode and not be killed off. OK, hmm. well. And well, you and I chatted for at least 20, 30 minutes talking like we are right now. And it was just such a fun that when we were all done, I said, John, do you mind if I take a picture of you? And you said, sure. And so I took Oh, there I am. Those. Look how winsome and young I was. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. And when we were done chatting, when we were done talking, I said to you, John, well, I guess I'm supposed to buy a picture from you. And you said, no, you don't have to. I said, okay, let me see. Okay. And you said, well, let me sign it for you. Uh -oh, and you whatever. signed it. Here it is. And you signed it. A pleasure chatting. Well, that's a good photo. John B. That's I've a, kept see, it's a good thing you can read my handwriting because I thought I thought that said a pleasure cha-ching. Now that's the funny <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, thanks for buying that's the, the picture. Okay. <laughs> when I walked away from you, I said, Oh, a pleasure cha-ching. And you went, no, read it again. And I went, Oh, chatting. Thank you. There you go. And, there you go. And I frequently, I frequently write something on the picture that I can see the other the person I give it to is like trying to find a way to formulate a response, but they can't make heads or tails out of what the hell I was thinking. Right. Well, and they can't read it. Well, one of the <laughs> things we talked about was about money that actors make. And you went, oh, a lot of guys only work for the cha-ching. You know, that's the important uh, thing. Oh, okay. uh -huh. So that's why I thought you meant yes. that. But, well, but, theoretically, you know, many of us who start out, out as stage actors, and I was a stage mm -hmm. actor for years, and I, you know, just I had a theater company in Seattle that adapted fiction for the stage, which is still going strong these many cool. years later. Oh. I helped to found an acting school, in fact, in Seattle. But yes, you you simply at the age of when you at the age of 35, just divorced and you still don't have a pot, not only to piss in, but to even like, you know, <laughs> to like, I don't have a pot at all. Right. I, I just I see I see no pot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you 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 do say at a certain point in your life, I got to get into film and television. If you mm -hmm. survive. I mean, if, well, you're, if you're a singer dancer, you could probably have a New York stage career and tour and make a living. But if you're a straight actor i.e. can't sing, can't dance, you got to get into film and television in all likelihood, or you're mm. simply not. Well, in, in, 20, in 2000, you got married to your new, your current wife. And is that the same time that you ended up getting... You like to say my final wife, but I, I just... <laughs> oh, okay, I'm <laughs> sorry. You're right, you're right, you're right. Like, uh, I just had... You like that formulation for some reason. I, I just celebrated my 41st anniversary, yeah. okay? So yeah. there you go, buddy. Anyway... That's 2000. Was that the same year that you got cast into Enterprise or was it in 2001? How did that all happen? Because you're uh, saying you were a starving actor and all of a sudden now you're given a contract. Yeah. For well, the first, seven, the first show, the first show I got, which was kind of well, at first, you know, I moved here in 96. Uh oh, wait, cats. Hold on. Wait one second. Talk about <laughs> yes. Hey, you guys, knock it off. I wish we could. I want to like see. I'm I'm always fascinated by people's books, and so what folks don't see is like they're really like there's not just bookshelves, but then there's like stacks and stacks of books in front mm -hmm. of the bookshelves, which is pretty amazing. That's I'm one room. Uh, that's one room. That's one room. Yeah, I'm a I'm a basically I'm a heroin addict, but it's books. It's books. Yeah. 
And, and I, well, I, you try shoving a, yeah. a book in your arm. That would be painful. Yeah. So, right. you know, yes. like, I tell my wife all the time, there are many worse addictions one could have. She used yes. to. Me. Now I think I'd like to see one of the other addictions instead. Well, at, so, least, at least heroin is not dusty. When I was doing <laughs> no. some like, you know, research right. uh, for, the, for a, this. It's a very positive attitude. Yeah. I, well, I support the book addiction because I kind of have it. I have it too. But I was impressed because in an interview in 2007, you mentioned your library was 9,000 books. And that was like 15 years ago. Slightly. What is it now? <laughs> I, you know, I don't count them, but my, my guess would be somewhere between 15 and 20,000. Oh my gosh. Wow. wow. Yeah. I, yeah. And you've read I'm them all. You've, you've, oh God, no, 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 no. Okay. I want it to be, well, first off, <laughs> let me go back to your earlier question. My first show, I moved here in 95. Mm-hmm. My first show that made me feel like, oh, I got a break was a guest star on NYPD Blue. Oh, wow. Of, Fantastic. Playing mm-hmm. a, playing a horrible, a child molester that <laughs> many children on television since then uh, i i'm not I, i'm anti-child molestation so just you know i know we want to be family friendly i'm opposed to it it's i think it's wrong a tv show right, yeah. right. i've just played them in the yes, yes i just play one on tv i'm not one like a doctor okay so that kind of opened some doors for me and i started working regularly and then the first series i got was short-lived and it was called the others and that mm-hmm. was a kind of a, a, a ghost show that Steven Spielberg produced. So by the time uh, Star Trek came along, we had my wife and I, who was also segueing into TV and film from the stage, we'd turned our corner. But Enterprise was definitely the, you know, like, oh, we've turned an even bigger corner in terms of we know this show is going to go for a while and, you know, we can buy a house and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, books, I'm a lunatic. And then what were we just about to start talking about? Well, I still, I'm not done with the book. I'm just fascinated oh, okay. with the, the books in the, in the library, but I, we've probably. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I, yeah. I used to cut school to go to the library. I would call oh. my mother and say, didn't feel like school at the library. My mother would kind of give me the kind of pro forma, like, oh, John. And then she would come to the library because she loved libraries. And we'd spend the entire day in the library together. Mm-hmm. And she'd browse, I'd browse, and then we'd get our books out. And when I was a kid growing up, they had a whole ceiling, you know, floor to ceiling bookshelf. I used to just sit in front of it. It had totemic significance to me. Mm-hmm. So from the time I was, a, was a, before I could read, reading was everything I aspired to do and be in mm-hmm. the world. Um, and and it, it is it is kind of still to, to the day, you know, probably first and, you know, other than the misses. First and most important thing in my life. Yeah. Right. Reading. Yeah. I, I have the addiction too. So reading is <laughs> right so important uh, oh to education, to learning, mm-hmm. to education, to, I mean, entertainment. My daughter, who's eight, is an avid reader and she loves just about anything and everything. Uh, and so she's got a wide interest in to watch my daughter sit down on the couch or lay in bed, read. It is the most beautiful, amazing thing because uh, you no, just no greater gift a parent yeah. can give to a kid mm-hmm. than in, in helping to inculcate a love of reading. Well, one of the things, John, that I do, I'm retired, and one of the things I do is I, I volunteer at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Oh. And, on, and on Fridays, I'm part of this department called Literally Healing, where we deliver books to kids in the, in the hospital. And Johnny. every child is entitled to a book a day. And if they read for 20 minutes, they get a second book. And I've gone into some of the rooms where the kids are long-term patients and it's a library. Great. You'd be proud of them, you That's know? Great. Yeah. yeah. 
I knew great. about the blood donation. I did not know you did uh, the book thing too. I don't think yeah. you had mentioned that to us before. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm also... Yeah, and I, I, you know, I look around and I see what's happening in the world with people actually trying to, again, censor books and, and, <sighs> and pull books out of school curriculum. And it's just like, why cannot we learn? I mean, it is the opposite. We should surround everybody with a mm -hmm. huge huge wealth of options when it comes to reading and cultivate mm -hmm. people's taste and aesthetic mm -hmm. so backward so yep. backward. yep so do you in addition to all the hard copy books have you gotten into any audio books or electronic books do you do nope. those too nope i'm a old-fashioned person um well, flip I mean, that page. No, no snubbing i mean you know let a hundred flowers bloom whatever mm -hmm. anybody can uh yeah. you know wants to take to my sister-in-law swears by audiobooks and i certainly understand if you're on the road a lot yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. The value of audiobooks, but no, I, uh, I I like the printed page. I like to go forward and back. I like to turn down corners. I like to make a little notation on the margin if it's a book that I don't think has any value. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to hurt or damage a book that actually has some 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 value that's a collector. Mm -hmm. But right. I don't, you know, I don't, I certainly do not. For me, what I like is having all, I like having the entire run of an author, like having mm -hmm. all of Faulkner. Oh, that's I don't, okay. I don't want and need to have, in fact, I prefer not to have like first editions of books because mm -hmm. okay. you know, they're hard to take proper care of. Mm -hmm. I, I just want the author's oeuvre. Mm -hmm. you know? I'm working on collecting all of Isaac Asimov's works. No, I've got, I've, I've got perfect. 90. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yep. But, and, Wait, and again, how, how many? I have 90 out of, we don't know how many he Over actually 100. had. Oh, no, it's like, that. it's like 500. Okay. It's like 500 oh, okay. where somewhere yeah. between two and 300 are just his. And then there's another couple hundred where it's Isaac Asimov presents the Hugo award winners or Isaac Asimov. Presents oh, I don't count those. Yeah. I, I, I collect some of those because there are a few that have unique things in them. Yeah, you know? no, and he, he yeah. certainly, he well, he had his own sci-fi yeah. magazine. So, you know, if yep, you have too. those, oh, you're yeah. going to yes. have things that have Asimov on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Another there are a line somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, you know, audiobooks I, I got into uh, when I was still commuting before the pandemic. That was, you know, my commute was an hour to and from each day. So two hours, you know, almost two hours at a time. So that's when, you know, for a while I wasn't reading because I didn't have the time. Yeah. And so once I adapted to audiobooks, it just kind of opened my world again. I was like, okay, now I'm digesting content again. Yeah. I, and then, and I, to yeah. I totally get it. And a lot of my yeah. pals actually are the ones who read those audiobooks. Mm -hmm. And again, more power to them. I mean, yeah. I don't. I, and I ebooks. E the only thing about ebooks is I will say is that the author makes less money. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is that, John? Uh, well, you, you Google it. Read Amazon yeah. slash okay. ebooks economics of books, and it's a it's a fascinating, complicated story. But basically, an author makes less money on an ebook. Really. So so I'm one of those authors who makes less money on eBooks, but my motivation right now there out there is just to get my name out. So I'm not, I personally, I don't, I don't yeah, care because. And yeah. that's a different animal. I mean, I, I would make that differentiation. Yeah. The difference between, I mean, obviously it is, if you're going to um, either self-publish or just getting started, there's certain mm -hmm. value. If you are an established author with a name for mm -hmm. them, the eBook, they make less than selling a printed copy. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yep. So John, even though there's less overhead. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are reasons as some of them are legitimate reasons. Some of them have to do with the nature of how Amazon has cornered the market. Right. Mm -hmm. Of course. Mm -hmm. John, yeah. have you ever thought of writing yourself? You I went to college to be a writer, actually. I went to uh, college with every intention of becoming a writer. And I had the, uh, the good fortune and the misfortune of studying with some of the world's great writers. I went to Bennington College, which is a very small liberal arts college in southern Vermont. Mm -hmm. It has an excellent reputation 
uh, before turning out writers. Um, Bernard Malamud was one of my teachers. Oh my if you God. Know Bernard Malamud, I mean, <gasps> one of the great writers of the 20th century. He's right up there with Bellow and Roth, and, you know, mm -hmm. similarly, an author whose um, books had much to do with the Jewish American experience. Mm -hmm. And if you're studying with one of the all time great writers, all I can say is that, and forgive if you're a family friendly listener, cover your ears for one second. <laughs> your dick shrivels up to the size of a pea. So I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to skedaddle over to the uh, drama department where the teachers, although they're good, are not world class. I realized studying with Malamud, George Garrett, Nicholas Del Banco, mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking of some, I'm spacing on some of the others mm -hmm. that, wow, I do not have, I, I do not have the chops to be a true, mm -hmm. in, in, in the sense that they would own a true author. I mean, you don't go to college to study writing to become a pulp writer. You go because you think I'm a writer. Yes. And I was disabused of that notion. <laughs> Whereas you go to the drama department, you can emerge from a drama program still thinking you can play fucking Lear. <laughs> I was disabused in the professional world of that notion eventually. But through college, I was able to keep my illusions alive as an actor more than I was as a writer. George, you are so much of a uh, George. I'm just, yes, you, John, John. You are yeah, so much. I was going to like my, 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 my. <laughs> John, you are so much of a George Carlin. Oh, I, that's interesting. Nobody's ever said that before. But I, I just said that. it now because I you are. That. Because Carlin, <laughs> he loved the English language. He also loved the seven words you can't say on television. <laughs> You're here. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and he was so smart, he knew not to join Mensa. And I think... <laughs> I, I really just because what the way you've been talking right now, it's like I'm sitting here enjoying a bald George Carlin. Thank you. <laughs> you have me until bald, and then hey, dude, look at that. Look at that. Okay, like, come on, George. I think I have more hair than George does. First, he called this. me George, which was confusing in its own right, and. <laughs> yeah. And well, then it's like what a dog hears. It's like, you know, blah, 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 insult, blah, 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 insult. <laughs> we got to embrace the bulb. As a society, we have to embrace the bulb. That's embrace all I'm saying. Yep. I well, guys I, actually, I have a bald story. I went to a barber when I was like nine years old. Uh -huh. One of those old curmudgeonly guys who never really wanted to cut hair, but that's what he ended up doing. He's like, you got a receding hairline, kid. You're going to go bald. Oh, that's a nice like thing I was to say. Nine to years old. Wow. And I thought he meant like next week. I thought it was like. <laughs> John, I was in a car accident and I split my head open right here. And the surgeon said, I'm going to have to cut the hair away, but don't worry, it'll grow back. And I said, no, it won't. <laughs> but you, you are able to pull off a beard, which I'm yes. not able to really do. And that is I, the other mm, thing. This, I, is I, a, I this is a year old. I'm trying to look like uh, the, the, the owner of Jurassic Park, you know. Oh, oh yeah. sure. Richard Attenborough. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm working. Well, I, I, one, it irritates the shit out of me. So I, <laughs> I, I after about a few, a few days, it's like, this has got to go. <laughs> two, it never really, it never kind of comes into uh, the kind of fruition that you gentlemen are demonstrating. So. Oh. And I've got, yeah, well, I've got nothing. Well, uh, people yeah, should be scared if they saw anything in there. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say it's probably worked so, out for you that way. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I am Italian and Jewish, so who knows? There's probably years. some hairy ladies in your in your in your yeah yeah. Probably is that, is that yeah. a thing? I did not know that was a thing. It is a thing. 
Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, both Italian, you know, all the Mediterranean Italian, you know, when you get older, you know, the this is usually one long shin hair that you can tuck behind your ear. Yeah. I love that. Like I said, I've got another decade or so before I need to worry about that. Well, oh, you know, we yeah. are the big sci-fi, you know, podcast. So I figure we, we should talk a little bit about. I know, I love this. You haven't fiction. asked me one Star Trek question. This is oh. like, wow, I love well, it. Okay, so I won't ask a Star Trek question no, yet. No, you can. I, I just, it's intriguing. Well, cool. it'll it'll be like almost almost a Star Trek question because I'm very curious about, there is an episode of Stargate that you were in mm-hmm. where you are a Star Trek fan. And I'm mm-hmm. curious as to how that episode got like conceived, especially that was during, that was while you were on Enterprise. While I was on Enterprise and I believe they were looking after they wrote that episode for somebody who had a Star Trek connection to play that character. I don't okay. know how I got the part. I don't remember auditioning for it. My guess is they probably thought that they would get a better rating if they picked somebody who was on the current installation of the franchise. Mm -hmm. And at the time, because Star Trek Enterprise, it quickly became apparent that they were trying to engineer this uh, triangular relationship between Trip to Paul and the captain, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be occupying a lot of every episode's space. I, I, at that time, being much more ambitious than I am now, kind of asked permission if I could double dip during the episodes when I wasn't used much and do other things. And they miraculously said yes. I shot Out of Time while I was on Enterprise. I shot Angel while I was on Enterprise. I shot a number of things while I was on Enterprise, including that show. Mm-hmm. They did, which was a great fun because it was so loosey-goosey and the Canadian actor who played my opposite number, we were two boobs who mm-hmm. think they're going to save the day and end up screwing up the away team's mission. The other guy was a wonderful Canadian actor named Patrick McKinnon, I think, yeah, who yeah. I absolutely adored. They brought him back to reprise his yeah, like, and then bring me back. What was going on there? Come on. So I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Stargate. <laughs> gotcha. It's like you don't bring back Abbott without Costello. Come on. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Do you have a favorite role outside of Dr. Flox or a, or a favorite character? In, in film and television, I really loved Out of Time, um, obviously because you know, it was an opportunity to act with Denzel and, and such an you know, extraordinary talent. Um, I love this short-lived show called The Nine, which was on mm-hmm. ABC in 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. It was on after Lost. And unfortunately, yeah. I don't think they marketed it very well. They tried to kind of pitch it as kind of a, an eerie, spooky mystery along the lines of Lost, when in fact it really was more of, of, a, of a drama about how people process uh, grief and angst mm. and tragedy. Um, it was couched in aspects of an action-adventure show, but it really needed to kind of reach for a different audience. So it bombed out of the gate, but it was a great part for me because it was a guy who saves the day, but he's a nebbish. And in saving the day, mm. suddenly the world deems he's a hero, and he, he, he transforms himself. And it's about his transformation. I was only one of the characters, but for me, it was a role that is very unusual on television. It's one that was exceptionally dynamic mm. by nature of what was being asked of me. So I was very upset when that got canceled. Yeah, I bet. Uh, theater, I would have a whole different raft of answers, but those mm. would be my answers for this meeting. And then I remember in the Trekking with the Fam, you were talking about leverage and that you really enjoyed. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, being able to, to play that character. That was fun. I played a, I played a horribly vicious serial killer on Cold Case for a couple of episodes, and uh, and that was that was you know in that world that was quite fun. 
Um, I played a serial killer taxi cab driver on NYPD Blue. I quite enjoyed that. Um, is there well, is there a what, role that you still want to play that you haven't had a chance to play yet? A type of role? Not necessarily a type of role. I think if I were to ever go back to stage, I'd like to play Uncle Vanya. Um, and I'd love to oh, do yeah. Chekhov. Although mm -hmm. I don't know that I ever will go back to the stage. It's, uh, you know, I'm in my 60s and and it's uh, it's uh, very demanding physically mm -hmm. to be a stage mm -hmm. actor. Mm -hmm. um, the, the people who keep it up well into their 60s and 70s and 80s are, are, are athletes. Mm -hmm. I'm shaking. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I'm shaking my head like I, I know that to be true, but I, I have no idea what it's like for a stage actor. I don't know what it's yeah. like for a stage actor. exhausting. I did if a little bit of drama. If you're playing what is called a Lord House, which is League of Regional Theaters, you're doing eight shows a week. And that's a Friday night show, a Saturday afternoon show, a Saturday evening show, a Sunday afternoon, and a Sunday evening show. And I can tell you that if you're playing a difficult role in a difficult play, you are a wet rag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Monday is about getting your shit together just to be able to kind of answer the bell on Tuesday night. And then you do it all over again. Wow. I, I just, it's amazing. And just the, being able to remember every line, it's not like on a TV show where you can, you know, cut line, you know, and they, and on a, but as a, as a play actor, you have to remember everything. Lawrence Olivier quite famously did not do stage for 10 years because he, he, he got stage fright and, and his theater history is, is full of stories of actors who have gone through absolutely crippling bouts mm -hmm. of, straight, of stage fright, and I certainly have experienced some of that myself. It, it's it's a hor if you're on a sh in a show, and I, this has happened to me. If you're in a show where you muck up a a, a sentence or a, or a passage, mm -hmm. when doing the show the next night, it's like you hear the train coming. Woo woo! Here comes that sentence. Here comes that passage. And the more you're in your head, and the more self conscious you are, the more likely you'll fuck it up again. Mm -hmm. And now it becomes a real issue. Yeah. I yeah. lived that. It is a it is a it is a terrifying feeling. Film and TV, it's like just shoot it again. Yeah. You have to, you can joke and giggle and laugh yeah, and have yeah. blooper reels and it's also uh George Bernard Shaw has this wonderful expression, which I'm gonna I'm gonna botch, but basically the thrust of it is the performance is is determined by the optics of the of the theater. So oh. if you're playing a 600 seat house. You have to justify your action or your intention in a way that makes it big enough to hit that back wall. So mm -hmm. if I need to ask you for something, I need to ask you for something. When, I, when you're on television, the camera's right there. Mm -hmm. So when I need to ask you for something, I just need to ask you for something. Right. Let the boom mic do his job. That, that form or, or way of working it feels better to me. Mm. You know, there, there is something that's quite liberating about justifying the largeness of a role and the largeness of a choice. And certainly your technique means that it doesn't seem like you're shouting all the time, but there's something fundamentally big about the theater. It, there has to be. And mm -hmm. as, an, as an actor and as an older person, I'm more attached and attracted mm -hmm. to something that has more intimacy. Now, I, that's very interesting you say that because I grew up watching uh, classic Hollywood films um, yeah. I, for the long. I mean, I don't think I, I was 12 before I realized um, uh, Humphrey Bogart wasn't a current day actor. And that, uh -huh. you know what I mean? Like, I, I assumed they were because I loved them. And um, I heard an interview or a director talking about Gary Cooper. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time he ever worked with Gary Cooper. And he was getting frustrated with him because from behind the camera, without looking through the lens, it looked like Gary Cooper was doing nothing. 
But Gary Cooper finally said, watch the film. You'll see it on screen. And mm. Gary Cooper was very, he, his littlest expressions just came screaming through the screen. Yeah. And he could express well, it, himself. It, it's interesting if you, if you know, if you're a student of the movies, as you watch movies from the, from the 20s into the 30s mm-hmm. into the 40s, I mean, there's actually a famous, uh, uh, well, that's that's what uh, Singing in the Rain is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it, mm-hmm. silent movie actors had to transition, and to be in a silent movie, it's all about your expression and the size. This whole twenty-year learning experience, how to act for the camera with sound. I mean, it's not—it's a relatively young medium. Mm-hmm. So you go back and you watch those movies, even into the thirties and, and even into the forties, you still see performers who didn't really quite learn that yeah. it doesn't have to be bigger than the camera you know, needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I read some biographies and autobiographies by some of the original series, uh, Star Trek actors like Leonard Nimoy and Shatner, where they talk about, cause they were at that start of the transition of, I guess, going into TV where, you know, they had planned to be stage actors, but then TV yeah. was the thing. And th- they talked about some of the weirdnesses of, of people on the big screen and they didn't respect TV and all this uh, interesting stuff that when you're just sitting there watching it, uh, you know, as someone who's not in the industry, I had no idea until I, you know, read this stuff. You, it's fascinating. You can still see even now. I mean, if you go back and you watch things from, you know, the 60s, 50s, mm-hmm. you can still see that there has been an, 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 I don't know if even I would call it an evolution. There has been a, a, a change in, in the nature of how we as an entire community of performers have come to understand smallness mm. as a given as opposed to smallness as a choice mm. because hmm. most most actors in the 50s and 60s were still you know more inclined to more size well remember back then john it was a lot of live television studio 90 and so on you were still you were live actors and so you were still acting as if you were on stage that's certainly that's certainly true and, yeah. and you know, I mean, it's even after even after that, I think there is still, you know, even today, you mm-hmm. could argue that one of the hard things for an actor who is who has come of age as a stage actor and transitioning to film and TV is is learning a school of hard knocks, yeah. how to, you know, let go of a lot of your a lot of your effect, a lot of your effects. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend, for instance, the movie Seven Hours to Judgment which was my first movie. And I had not learned that lesson at that point. Interesting. Now I want to see it even more. Oh, I would heartily not recommend it. <laughs> if you watch it, as, as, as they said in Tea and Sympathy, be kind. Okay. Well, we're all, you know, again, as a writer, I, I just a similar thing. When I, I'm doing it. When I, when I look at my old writing from 20 years ago, I'm, I'm embarrassed because I've learned and grown so much. So it's, I would say in any field or just anything, you know, there's going to be growth and you look at your early work and you're like, eh. and it's still extremely subjective because every time I yes. do one of these interviews, I can always hear like some TV critic who said something to the effect of what a ham you know about me so it's like well, maybe i'm not so good at it as i thought I was mm-hmm. but, we, but yeah but we we definitely all all go through you know go through that to some degree you know i do while i'm i'm not in any way shape or form an, an actor i do understand a little bit about what you're talking about the different stages and the sizes because i do speak i i do you know a lot of speaking and i've done it in 
probably the largest room was with a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is professional. So I'm, I'm an engineer by day. And so a lot of this is professional speaking. But then now I, I speak to students about, about engineering and all these things. So and I've done larger rooms. I've done smaller, not, not like a thousand person or more, you know, large room, but I've done a lot of smaller rooms and I've done the online, you know, where I'm speaking to students online as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, right. Depending on what you're doing, you have to project or not or different kind of energy you have to you know i mean oddly the closest i get to doing theater now is doing the dog and pony show at the various conventions which was awesome by the way you're hilarious always hysterical (laughs) like i was there and it's just like all right this is fun but i i I saw you john in like 2014 you were on stage with all the enterprise actors and the only person who could get a word in edgewise was uh, Dominic. Dominic, maybe, but you <laughs> wouldn't shut up. And I loved it. <laughs> I love that little thing that Dominic was doing where he kept like saying, anytime you'd be like, I auditioned for this role, Dominic would be like, oh yeah, I did that too. That was yeah. a good little bit. <laughs> I, I mean, I love I love those boys and depends upon whether or not it's being moderated or not, you know, as to whether mm-hmm. or not we really have full license to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. elbow mm-hmm. each other around. But <laughs> I started doing dog and pony shows with the missus, which unfortunately I don't get to do as much as I would like to. She was on Chuck. She played the general. Uh, for those of you who might have seen Chuck General, oh, Beckham. that's one. I, it's on my list. But she no. saw it, but I'm not recall. I got. I'm not recalling, but I did she, see it. You know, she's been an actress for years, and she pops up in all sorts of things. The very first convention, not the very first I went to, but the very first I went to with her in attendance, she was like, uh, she "said Oh, come on, go out to dinner afterwards." So she stood in the back. She said, "Do not call on me. Do not. Whatever you do, I'm not here. Don't talk about me. Yada yada yada." Fine, fine, fine. So I was telling a story, which I often tell because I don't see Jolene anymore, so she can't bust my ass about it. I say she was the gassiest <laughs> actor on Star Trek. You talked about that on Triple <laughs> Pod. You I did hear about this. Yeah. Just, she ate a lot of cheese. I had, had an episode where we were pawn far, and she was like, you know, she had the hots for me. We were locked in the econ chamber. It was like, put that cheese down before you get in this room. Put that cheese down right now. So I said, you know, oh, Jolene, gassiest actor in Star Trek. And from the very back of the auditorium, and Bonnie was a theater actor. It was like, pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, that is Mrs. Billingsley, also known as That's Bonnie Friedrichsey. Come on, come on up here. From that moment on, she was on stage with me. Oh, fantastic. She runs oh. around with the microphone. Uh, <laughs> I, It's great. And I so miss getting to do low vaudeville with her pension mm-hmm. circuit. So what I saw uh, at shore leave just a, a month or two ago, whenever that was now, I mean, it was practically a stand-up comedy routine. It was, it was hilarious. And is that like, have you done stand-up comedy or is it, or is it these dog and pony shows? That these have... dog and pony shows. And wow. I think of it as low vaudeville. I, I, mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I don't have material. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, you know, somebody has given me 45 minutes. They theoretically have affection for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, they're, they're going to forgive me my trespass passes and let's have fun. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, obviously there's a certain amount of material insofar as there are certain questions that he asked again and yeah. again. There are certain stories I've told a bajillion mm-hmm. times. I try and prime the pump by asking people in the audience to ask me an embarrassing question. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. at the outset, for those who anybody, whoever asked me the most embarrassing question gets a prize. 
mm-hmm. which is usually a bag of my toenail clippings. <laughs> <laughs> Be surprised at how many people want that. I, well, and, you and Howard Hughes, sure. You know, <laughs> I think it's because Dr. Flocks had the humongous. Toenail. Oh, you know, that say, so has been, the toes, that, okay. The, that's my yeah. ongoing joke to people. They say, you know, when I see someone's feet are bad, I say, oh, no, they have Dr. Flox feet. Yes. And I also, of, I also have a lot of fun with that. I write a poem. I write a little bit of doggerel and I read it and I say, so whoever asks the most embarrassing question, they get this signed poem and an eight by 10 and a bag of my toenail clippings and whatever toiletries I was able to steal from maids. <laughs> and and I, I set them up that way because that way the questions perk mm-hmm. from an interesting place. <laughs> I kind of try and, and sidle out of the, you know, the earnest questions or the questions about an episode three of season two, when you were captured mm. by the Andorian princess, was uh, it really the, uh, Oh, that was a good one. Try and, I try and get those kind of like pushed aside as best. Did we, yeah. cause I was at the, the convention. I don't, did anyone ask any embarrassing questions? I don't remember that being. Nobody uh, has ever embarrassed me actually. I'm okay. 62 years old and in 62 <laughs> years, I've never been embarrassed. Well, usually the people that line up on the side of the stage to ask you questions, they usually are such devote fans. They're not going to try to, you know. Oh, yes, they will. Believe yeah, me. no, they'll, they'll try. I mean, I'm, thinking, I'm trying to think of one right now. Are you kidding me? Oh, my oh. heavens. No, it's not that people haven't asked embarrassing questions. It's that I'm somewhat unembarrassable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the only times I ever get embarrassed, this this happens because I'm old and my eyesight isn't great, is misidentifying the gender of the person asking the question. Oh. <laughs> that is that is sometimes awkward. It's like, oh. Oh, well, okay, whatever I said, it's the opposite. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, right up there with Madam. When is that baby due? Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, see, when I got when I was pregnant, and when I was very pregnant, and people would do that to me, I would ask. I, I had no idea what you're talking about. I'm not pregnant. You just mess <laughs> with people. No, I, I did. I did mess with people. I I did it. You know, I was only. Um, I really only went to work, so it was usually people who hadn't seen me at work okay. in a while. I'd run into, and they'd be like, "Oh, look at Any, you!" Anybody yeah. over a certain age knows to never ever yes. reference yes. a woman's pregnancy until yeah. she brings it up first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, in yeah. this case, it was it was in in real life. It was really fine because it was actually coworkers who just hadn't seen me in a few months, and so yeah, mm-hmm. it was. And it was like I'm due tomorrow, and so it, it was very obvious. But I would still give them a hard time because I because I could because you could exactly. <laughs> right. It's fun. I love to have fun. So like at the shore, you know, when there was a, a moment where you, well, moment there was like a whole five minutes. There was a guy who couldn't trying to say Denobulin. Yes, that was yeah. just I was in tears, and I was in yeah. tears over that. As yeah. was half the audience, <laughs> I, and I felt badly for him a little bit but he, like, he he took it really well he was he doing did, really good he did with take that. It well. yes i yes, used to so. chase people down when they were leaving like you know somebody had to go to the bathroom and i would yeah. chase them down and actually drag them by their hair back into the auditorium and and that usually got <laughs> too. not from yeah. the person who's being dragged inside who usually just had to go to the bathroom but you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a good object lesson for don't leave in the middle of somebody okay. you just yeah. don't oh, know how no. that that you don't do that to a comic you don't i am not unfortunately i'm not yeah but you're not limber Uh, So I can't I can't leap from the stage and chase anybody down anymore. But what I did start doing was delegating some big, fast people to do it for me. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you catch them. (laughs) And they would do it, of course. They would do it. Oh, yes. People will do anything you ask them to do. It's it's quite remarkable. remarkable. My wife is there to rein me in. So not, you know, not having her on the circuit with me for the last few years. I, I'm afraid I've I've well exceeded what would be her acceptable standards of decorum. So why isn't she on the circus? Why isn't she uh, going with you to these anymore? 
Well, you know, one, of course, COVID kind of knocked the whole oh, thing into yeah. a octet. And then since we've kind of started to come back, um, it's been a combination of either she's had gigs or in the last, you know, nine or so months, unfortunately, she was going to go on the cruise with me in January. Uh, my, my, not to be somber, but for a somber moment, my um, brother-in-law, Bonnie's wife's husband, uh, Bonnie's sister's husband. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a Freudian slip. That's a is, is she Denobulin? Because I know there's stuff there. <laughs> okay. bit, Say that yeah. again. <laughs> I was asking if she was Denobulin because there's, Denobulin. You know... Very good. Yes. 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 That's, that's the first time. That's very good. Uh, our my, our brother-in-law uh, had a massive stroke. Oh. And so Sorry. he has spent the last seven or so months in a skilled nursing home, and it's been a kind of you know all hands on deck in our yeah. family yeah. trying yeah. and 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 pull him back. You know, and mm -hmm. it's been mm -hmm. in spite of the uh you know horrible horrible um lack of assistance provided by the insurance company yeah yes uh, you know i I, oh. I knew intellectually that our medical industrial complex was deeply flawed but actually going through the through the mill with this mm -hmm. uh yeah. medicare advantage program that basically has denied him the kind of care he really needed and kind of mm -hmm. sloughed him off mm -hmm. into a skilled nursing home where they simply don't have the capacity right. Right. No. And that, that's one of the problems. You're right, John, because that's one of the problems is that if you don't have the wherewithal to pay for assisted living, which is not covered by insurance, and you have to go to a nursing home, which can be covered by uh, Medicare, it's not really well, where you want to go. Well, this is more, I mean, he, he you know, so he had a horrible stroke and now um, four months in intensive care, yada, yada. He needed to go to something called a long-term acute care hospital where they could mm -hmm. deal with issues surrounding the fact that he had had a ventilator, so he had pulmonary mm. issues. Okay. And he had brain damage. Mm. And those those institutions exist. And for three or four weeks, you have somebody who's skilled in, you know, breathing and getting mm. him over pneumonia, yada, yada. And somebody who can actually, you know, a neurologist kind of figure out what his key neurological issues are. That's what people should get if they go through that kind of trauma. It's expensive. Yeah. So instead, mm -hmm. they basically say, you've plateaued, nothing can help, yada, yada, go to a skilled nursing home, you're basically yeah. on the road to being vegetative. Yeah. So yeah. they, they it, is, it is baked into the problems in our system that advantage care plans, and I think a lot of insurance plans, are looking for ways to define you as on a downslope as opposed to potentially an upslope. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. it's it's you know there are more insurance industry people than there are doctors in this country which is mm -hmm. like pretty right stacked. right yeah yeah, yeah. 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 No, you're right well all the best wishes to your brother and oh thank you hope, thank you hope yeah. he recovers and I yeah. segued into something serious there and i'm gonna ask no, you that's also, okay and i'm happy to keep talking so just let me know when you guys have to split oh we we have we have no place to go <laughs> oh okay John, okay yeah. get his book of world records for the long my kids are quiet time. No, what we do is we do two parters. You, you, oh, we, okay. And we and the first guy to make us do that was Doug Drexler. When oh, we okay. Doug, it went for so long we had to split in half because. Oh, fabulous. Okay. Well, yeah, he's I just want to be able at some point to talk about the Hollywood Food Coalition. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's definitely. Well, yeah. we can start talking about food. I mean, food. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I'll just yeah. only because we came out of a serious beat. I thought, mm -hmm. you know, I thought, well, I could I could keep on in a serious vein. Sure. We can yeah. go back to flippancy and mad capery at any. No, we'll we'll get back to ask you which is your favorite flocks, you know, roll or something. Okay, we'll all get, right. We'll and get, favorite we'll get, food. 
Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm hungry. Food, <laughs> I would be hard pressed. That's that's like you know, I mean, on any given day, you're going to have an appetite for a, a ribeye, or you're going to have an appetite for cheese right. fondue, or you're going to have an appetite for <laughs> yada yada yada. It's like the desert island test. It's like I wouldn't want to be on a desert island with any one thing. I'd rather put a bullet in my brain than be on a desert <laughs> island with one thing. Um, well, yes, Brian so, and I were talking earlier today, yeah. and I think I came up with my one thing. I could eat blueberries every single day for the oh, rest of my life. Yes. Just blueberries. Just blueberries. Oh if I God. if I if I really had to pick one food and only one food. Wow, I'm, so I'm it's, offense, it's doable. I'm on your island. Uh, one I, I, food I, is doable. I, I, I don't want to be John. on Pork Shop Island across the way. <laughs> oh, see, see, John, you you talked about books of your heroin. Mine is pizza. I could oh. eat a whole pizza. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my God. But not every day. Could you do though. it every day? Oh yeah. Okay. There's so many different types of pizzas out there. Deep. Well, you know, there's New it's York, like there's only there can only be one pizza. So now you you're you're introducing varieties of pizza. I think that okay cuts on the question. <laughs> I can still eat the same one. It's okay. Really? What's the what's the one pizza like? Give me a pizzeria and a kind. Oh. Uh, <sighs> Gino's be New York pizza. <laughs> Have you been to Gino's Eats in Sermon Oaks? Uh, Chicago pizza. Okay. Regular That's, sausage, uh, sausage, gotta have sausage. Yeah, Gino's deep dish sausage pizza every day on every your day. Island. And, and, and until there's a Dina on her desert island eating blueberries, <laughs> and, you know, within a week, Adina's going, God, I'd fucking kill for pizza. And you'd be going, <laughs> Roman's a blueberry. And I, I'm going, I need some antioxidants. I'm turning, and that <laughs> is the human condition. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so how do we feel? Cool? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah please please. go ahead. So I was the president of the board and I'm currently the development chair of a wonderful organization based in Hollywood called the Hollywood Food Coalition. Many of you who are listening to this may very well have heard about it because I will go to the opening of an envelope. So you've heard me on more podcasts. <laughs> Everyone in America has a podcast except me, apparently. I didn't know this. <laughs> so we have been working for 37 or so years to help provide services to people in need, obviously, particularly people who are experiencing homelessness. We start with a hot multi-course meal served every night of the week. We haven't missed a night in 37 or so years. Mm. We also, because these are people who come to trust us and, and trust our reliability, we help get them hooked up to other service providers. So we might try and help them access healthcare or lodging or mental health services or legal services. We partner with UCLA's dental, dental medical vision care vans we help hand out shoes and socks and sleeping bags and tents and bus passes and laundry vouchers, et cetera. And additionally, we rescue about 2 million pounds of food a year and we share it with around 100 other service providers, not-for-profits that basically have their own wonderful programs, but maybe their meal service could use some buttressing. So we mm -hmm. kind of help augment and buttress other not-for-profits meal provision. And lastly, we have something that we call community building. And what that means is we sit at tables with other care providers who are interested in doing what we do, and we try and figure out what are the problems that we can only solve collectively. Mm -hmm. We need more transportation. We need more refrigeration. We need more storage. We need more volunteer support. We need better grants. We need to, we need to find a way to identify audiences in need throughout the region. So a lot of what we're interested in, what interests me, is rooted in our name, the Hollywood Food Coalition coalition building. Mm -hmm. I bring this up because last year we did something that I'm very proud of called Trek Talks. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. Trek Talks was held on Martin Luther King Day weekend. We're doing Trek Talks 2 this year on January 14. 
basically we are going to have anywhere between 50 and 80 Star Trek luminaries. It's going to be like going to a convention. So you'll have Frakes and uh, who do we have last year? Jerry Ryan, showrunners, show creators, producers, behind the scenes talent in panels talking about their work and interspliced will be short videos about the Hollywood Food Coalition. Mm -hmm. It's basically Jerry Lewis telethon and I play mm -hmm. Jerry Lewis. Nice. With money for the Hollywood Food Coalition. Last year we raised 80,000. Our goal this year is a hundred minimum. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just want to kind of say, watch the stars mm -hmm. and keep your eyes and ears open, Hollywood Food Coalition, or check us out, hofoco.org, H-O-F-O-C-O.org. And if you guys have the ability to kind of put our little, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, it'll be yep. Brian up. will definitely yep. put that there. Yep. Yep. A, and as it gets closer, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is stay in touch with me so you can maybe kind of like do a little promo song and dance for us as it gets closer. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'd be that. more than happy to do that. Yeah. Don, yeah. And, Don, I, and I get the local. It is, is local. local. It's in Hollywood. I will say that for those people who kind of thinking like, well, why wouldn't I give to my own local charity? A, yes. Why not? Of course. I do like to think that one of the things we're trying to do with Hofoco is to help create different kinds of structures that are replicable elsewhere. There are all sorts of wonderful, wonderful charities. In fact, I have, you know, for all my cynicism, I have a deep reservoir of affection for the world because so many people in it are trying so hard to help other people in it. Mm. And there are a lot of great groups doing great things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do think one of the things we're trying to do is figure out ways to help get people really good nourishment, working with other service providers in ways mm -hmm. that other communities can copy. So that's mm -hmm. my sense of like what our, our maybe broader appeal might be. Yeah. When, when does this event happen? January 14th, Saturday. 14th. Okay. And in terms of its hours, it it's still up in the air when it begins and when it ends because it depends okay. on how many guests we get. Last year was six hours, mm -hmm. uh, and the whole idea is you know like a telethon. You you know, maybe come in because oh, I want to see this panel, and then I'll go back and and feed the cat, and then I'll come back in an hour and I'll watch this panel. Mm -hmm. So it's going to start at X and end at Y, and the oh. full schedule will be available so people can kind of like you know figure out when they want to join us. And mm -hmm. just like Jerry Lewis, you know, every half hour, hey, we're up to and we're giving away so and so to uh, such and such if they la da 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 da. -da. <laughs> I wear sequins. I have a whole top hat. Yeah, that, yeah. That, um, that part is not true. I don't have sequins. Why not? <laughs> would look I suddenly good. thought, oh fuck, people are going to think I'm wearing. They're going to get disappointed because it's like, no, where are the sequins? I don't see any sequins. <laughs> We can send you some sequins. <laughs> How do you find hosting that for, for six hours straight? Or I guess it's not six hours because you're breaking up with the panels, but yeah, it yeah. must be exhausting. Uh, my ass is a little tired by the end of it, I confess. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, my ass is prepared to sacrifice for the cause. Well, what, what I'm very fascinated about is the whole uh, rescuing of food from other things. That That is amazing to me. And I love, I love that idea to the point where I, I really want to kind of find out. I know there's a local mission in my town here. And I'm, I'm curious. Um, I know like there's a food pantry and stuff and we've donated just, you know, food to, to that. But I'm, I'm curious about that and about expanding, like, because that's that bothers me, like the whole fact that food yeah. is going to waste. Yeah. And Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I'd like to think that maybe my justification for doing this. I mean, I've always been involved in social services or not justification. But the, but the thing that stirred me is because as a theater actor, there were too many months when I didn't have, a, as I said, didn't have a pot to piss in. It's like, mm -hmm. can I pay the rent? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, 
most this staggers me couple statistics one in five american kids is food insecure which doesn't mean they're necessarily going to go hungry but yeah. it does mean they're not sure what they're going to eat when they're going to mm-hmm. eat if they're going to have enough to eat is it going to be good food healthy food and you know, will they eat it under safer or, or healthy conditions mm-hmm. and then this which is four out of ten americans four, in essence 40 percent of of adults in america if they had an unexpected 400 dollar bill their roof cave mm-hmm. and their car got yeah. smashed they don't have the money in the bank to pay it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at the history of the last 70 or so years, childcare costs have risen 2,000% mm-hmm. since 1959. 2,000%. Now, the cost of a television set has dropped, in, in essence, relative mm-hmm. to you know, yeah. 1959 purchasing power. So we have made our gizmos and our gadgets more affordable, but we have made health care, housing yeah. costs transportation costs, mm-hmm. childcare costs. Mm-hmm. We've driven those things through the damn roof. Mm-hmm. And we convince ourselves that we're living in a richer world, but we are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm I always a bit of a soapbox about the nature of inequality in our society and how it has, has you know, it is not really fully percolated as it should to voters exactly how they are being screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, John, if you, you know, you mentioned just about keeping in contact, I would like to keep in contact with you because I would like to assist you come January the 14th. If I Fabulous. can, and, I'm, I'm yeah. local. I'm here in North well, Hollywood. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say a couple other things about the Hollywood because mm-hmm. I'm on a roll. Okay. Um, the thing that I loved about it when I first joined is I went in to make a fruit salad. We have had tens of thousands of volunteers come through our doors people who cook for us and serve for us and get to know folks experiencing mm-hmm. need in the community mm-hmm. there is this artificial separation that exists between yeah. socioeconomic classes in america i think volunteerism is also extremely important because it brings us back to a place where we are human together which is what star trek does which is mm-hmm. why i'm very interested in having track talks continue to build itself as a mechanism by which we can talk together as a Star Trek community about mm-hmm. the concept of trektivism. Mm-hmm. Right. I like that. Uh, yeah. And the concept Please. of volunteerism and how mm-hmm. every single every single mm-hmm. thing about Star Trek, and you could argue sci-fi, is mm-hmm. sort of rooted in this question of like, how do we do better? How do, yeah, we, how do we do better? Exactly. Yeah. You know? And you know, in the end, if we all are too abstruse about it, it's always left to like, it's here on the ground every day in our life choices that we do better and there are ways to get involved in your community that i'm very interested in talking about to people yeah uh, i think I, that's great i really love how the hollywood food coalition you talked about make creating really a community and um that's so important with the homeless population some people are longing for human interaction it's not just the food they're longing to be treated with respect and as a human being in my experience um uh serving homeless and and volunteering is uh, honestly that is about as high on their list as anything treat me like i'm human and like i'm part of this society and i mean feed me i mean you know we need to feed people it's it's crazy that people can go hungry in this nation but 
um, that interaction, it sounds like Hollywood Food Coalition really brings respect and dignity to people. It's definitely the, the you know, the the heart, the beating pulse. There's a woman named mm-hmm. Sherry Bonanno who's been, you know, is now stepping down as our executive director. And she's been with us for 20 some years as mm-hmm. a volunteer up until just the last few years. We were a hundred thousand dollar a year organization six years ago. Mm. You know, some of us who came on board and said, let's try and grow Mm -hmm. and expand our capacity to serve people have helped kind of create a a, a bigger, you know, bigger Mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. We aren't here without her passion and her soul Mm -hmm. and her deep understanding of how every human being has worth and dignity. And one Mm -hmm. of the things I'm particularly proud of is choice. Every time somebody comes through the line, it's like, would you prefer this? We have a vegetarian, a vegan, and a a, a meat-centric option. Mm Mm-hmm. The one unfortunate thing COVID did is it 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 eliminated our ability to have a sit down meal. Yeah. yeah. So it now is to go meal. We need we need to get back, and our goal is to get back to a place where not only do we come back to a sit down meal, but we could actually serve people more restaurant style, where it's like there's a menu at the table and you mm. could order with the server. I think that's ultimately where we're. That, that is great. Choice. I mean, you're give, you're giving people choice, and and you're making them feel like I. I I can actually have what I'd like for once in my life. And an experience. Getting it. You know, I mean, one of the wonderful experiences we all have, and we take for granted is a wonderful experience of going to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I I really, I know for us that what we, and I can't talk about everything that we've kind of got working because some of it is still, but I know one of our long-term goals is to have our own campus where we can serve a restaurant quality meal to people who can sit and enjoy it with time and dignity and mm-hmm. space and a nice physical environment and all the various ancillary services that they may need a mental health hospital in you know, a hospital but you know medical vans etc cetera, etc cetera, mm-hmm. are on the campus so it's a mm-hmm. one-stop shop Jeez, fantastic so you mentioned you know people are able to have some choices in what they eat are you able to accommodate um people who know they have food allergies yes excellent yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I know. and that's, I mean, obviously, you know, as, as the reality of the campus we're on right now, we're on a Salvation Army campus. We are a mm-hmm. secular organization. There's no religious mm-hmm. test, but because we share their campus, they graciously have allowed us to be on their campus. We are constricted in terms of the number of hours we can operate. So we have to provide the meal service in a much more truncated amount of time than I wish we could. So, you know, in an ideal world, that's what you get when it's restaurant style, just like the waiter says, are there any food allergies we should be aware of? Well, not all waiters. <laughs> yes, just do that. You know, so, Only so, the most educated of them. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, what we, we can say is, is, you know, we have these, we have these options. It's a, it's a vegan, mm-hmm. it's vegetarian. And then it is about if somebody says I'm allergic to, we know what the options mm-hmm. are. We can say, well, we'll steer you away from this. Mm-hmm. You have to have a different kind of landscape to be able to have, as as you and I both know, tell me about any food allergies and I can answer any questions about the individual that requires a little bit more mm-hmm. like expansiveness, but it's a goal. Yeah, because yeah, my my son, my older son has life threatening food allergies. And, you know, we encounter people all the time who are in the food service industry who are not educated about it. And yeah. it's very frustrating. Yeah. And a lot of kids, uh, you know, these days have have food allergies. So yeah. that's forefront of my my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, the second on my mind is you, you mentioned a fruit salad. And, yeah, and I was a fruit salad maker and the dishwasher, uh, my, my dishwashing abilities, unfortunately, it was like, ah, my back, 
<laughs> but what I really did was say, I'd like to meet the board and I'd like to figure out, help you figure out what, you, what is your, what is your strategic plan? What are you fighting to achieve? Where's your growth coming from? What's, mm -hmm. what's your funding base? How are you staying into, I mean, I, I, my, my, my uh, best skill set is administrative. Mm. I ran a theater company. I've got a pretty good mind for like data, 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 action plan, action plan, agenda, yada, yada, yada. So I kind of, I'm not in the kitchen anymore. I'm kind of like, you know, and, and now I'm stepping back a little mm -hmm. bit from even that, but um, we're just hiring a new ED. Very excited about, very excited about the gentleman has just stepped over as our new board president, Brian Athena, who's doing a sensational job. Uh so how much of your time is spent on this uh, every For five week? years? It was my job. And in fact, okay. I more or less said, you know what, I'm a, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pursue acting work anymore. I'm going to focus on this. Wow. I still, I still worked when things came to me. I'd still audition a smidge, but I basically said, man, this is, I want to, I want to devote myself to this. I've always done sort of mm -hmm. this kind of work, but, but when I was younger and I still had a career, it was more like, you know, I'm yeah. on the, the age service center and I'll help run your live and silent auction for your event or I'll try and get new board members but it was mm -hmm. not all in mm -hmm. this I thought I want to be all it was after Trump got elected I honestly I said you know what right. I want all in on something because I want to feel like you know forgive me I am political I want to feel like the election of this man has had some kind of positive effect mm -hmm. on the world mm -hmm. and I got I can only prove that by doing it myself so if you're stepping a little bit away from that and you've been stepping away from acting so what is your daily life like what are you I'm doing what do you want to do back a little bit more into acting okay because um one of the the unfortunate side effects of what happened to my brother-in-law is that he can no longer work and he and my sister-in-law were doll manufacturers and very good ones, but they traveled around the country selling the product. So there's no foreseeable future for them to be able to do that. So my wife and I kind of, you know, essentially need to have um, financial responsibility for them for the, you know. Oh, wow. So are, are they are they nearby? They are nearby. And, okay. and you know, and I, I don't mean, you know, in all candor, I mean, Bonnie and I did very well. We don't have kids, small house, don't live beyond our means. We're set. Mm -hmm. but knowing that, you know, you don't, I mean, I hope my brother-in-law lives for 20 years. Yeah, right. I, 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 I want us to be able to very comfortably provide for them. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, Let, I, we had it all dicked out in terms of, of I don't need to work anymore for us. I'm not as confident about I never have to work again if there are two families. So I just thought, well, I'll go back to work again. I still like mm -hmm. to work. So I'm kind of dialing that up again. A bit. Well, I'm glad that that's an unintentional side effect because then we'll yeah. see you more. That's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I still have to get the jobs. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like I can just like, oh, I'm back. Hollywood. <laughs> it's John Billingsley, yeah. exactly who we needed for this role. I can't believe John Billingsley is finally available to us. It's yes, would that it worked that way. And thank you for listening to part one of our interview with the always talented and always funny John Billingsley. We appreciated John's time with us, and he agreed to stick around for a second part. So make sure you check that out next week. And don't forget to check out the Hollywood Food Coalition, how you can volunteer and give, donate your time and your money. And also, don't forget Trek Talks, January 14th. Thanks for listening to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast.